Welcome to Shardcast, the Brian Sanderson podcast. We are a bunch of mega fans giving you the news discussion and, of course, a whole lot of opinions about Brandon's works and the Cosmere. I'm David, and joining me is Ian. Hey, I'm your writer. Also joining me is Evgeny. Hi, I'm Argent. And for this episode, I have brought a drink that I don't normally drink because it's, it's not garbage, but it's whatever. I brought some Jack Daniels. I didn't have any Texas whiskey to, uh, to <laughs> sip on the episode, but I, but I have this Tennessee whiskey with, by the way, if you haven't noticed, the price tag still on. <laughs> um, and in, in a very American fashion, I'm, I'm drinking Jack and Coke. It's very basic. I don't like it. Well, I hope you continue to not enjoy that. Also joining us is Danielle. I'm back. <laughs> Very happy. And do you have a do you have a username? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I do. I do have a username. <laughs> Val Candy. I have not been on one of these in a while, as you can obviously tell. <laughs> We're all figuring it out today. That's all right. Uh, and finally, we also have Marvin. Hi, I'm Pedio, coming to you from Chicago today. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I thought I'd fly over the Atlantic for this one and join us from there. We're like time neighbors, same location, but like right, yeah. different time. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like a beautiful day in Chicago today. Uh, <laughs> and I am Windrunner on the forums, not chaos today. And we are doing things a little bit differently because today we are talking about the new audio original Lux, which not everybody has listened to. So we have a little bit of a different cast today of everyone who managed to get through the audiobook and wanted to talk about it. Yeah, uh, I finished really it cool. four hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had a deadline and I made it. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. I mean, I, I shake my head, but I also finished it yesterday, so. <laughs> well, you guys will have to remind me because I have memories, but not super clear ones. So I'm sure I'm going to forget some stuff. Jumping into it, just to talk a little about what Lux is, in case you have not heard about it. This is a co-authored audio audible exclusive with another author, Stephen Michael Bowles, who I believe was one of Brian's students at one point. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, this is an attempt to continue the original Reckoners trilogy. And so it does start, it does have a different main cast, but they are hoping to bring it together and do it an entire second trilogy here that will eventually probably join up with the original characters. Uh, it is an audio exclusive for two years and it was originally written and plotted as three novellas that got kind of squished together into one book when they decided to actually make it a full trilogy. And so I think we are going to launch right in with our non-spoilery reactions. So if you have not read Lux and you don't want to get spoiled by it, you should be pretty okay with this. We're just going to do some general impressions and talk around it. And then we'll let you know when we head into our actual spoilery full discussion like we love to do. All right. Who's got thoughts on their reactions to Lux? I have thoughts. So <laughs> Reckoners was actually one of my very first sanderson introductions i read huh. mistborn first and then i read steelheart and i loved it i read all three of them like really really quickly maybe within a week or so um 
and and that's kind of the reason why I kept reading Sanderson. So I have a special place in my heart for Reckoners. <laughs> and this book, even though it was not like a full Brandon Sanderson name book, it felt like a really good continuation of the series to me. Um, it, the tone was a little bit darker, in my opinion, but uh, <laughs> it was it was a lot of action packed scenes and um I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. And I really liked being able to get back into this universe. So you say it's not fully a, a Brandon Sanderson thing, but uh, listeners and viewers, I will direct you to the cover of Lux, which has <laughs> audible original Brandon Sanderson in massive letters. And Stephen Michael Bowles in like font 12. <laughs> So well, that's just marketing for you. Yeah, that is that is just marketing. Yeah, but it's uh, hmm. the tone was very different. So I did yeah. notice that it was not a Brandon Sanderson book. You know, it yeah. had his name on it, but it was not written purely by him. So mm -hmm. it was nice to to do. And then also because it's an audio book only production, that was a unique experience too. Because they wrote it specifically, right? Didn't they write it specifically to be read in audio? Mm. It felt very more like cinematic and more. Um, it's easier it to read this as an audio book than it would be for like a, a book that was just, you know, a written novel and then read. It was like, as I, an audio original from the start, it, at least. Yeah. It was. And I know for the original. Uh, the audio original um the original audio original by brandon <laughs> not confusing uh, I, yeah um, there is an audiobook that is only for audio called the original that's what the yes, referring yes. to, which is brandon co-wrote with mary robinette cool mm -hmm. and i know for that one mary robinette did a lot to like mm -hmm. make it for audio mm -hmm. i don't know how much that was in effect for this book. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I definitely noticed as I was listening to this was, so with the original, it was very, well, it wasn't very clear to me that it's meant for audio, but in retrospect, a lot of the he said, she says were mm -hmm. gone from that book. Like, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. listening to Lux, a lot of these things were not omitted. And there were many instances where there would be a sequence of, you know, one or two words of dialogue, and then he said, and then one or two words of dialogue, and then she said, and like that would repeat for three, four lines, which is obviously not ideal for audio. It just sounds clunky. And especially with a narrator who does such a good job at mm -hmm. conveying the different voices of the characters. It is just not necessary. Like there's so many mm -hmm. times when one of the characters, let's say Herschel, uh, who has a very distinct voice, would say something, and like I don't need the Herschel said at the end mm -hmm. because I instantly yes. recognize the voice because it has been established so well. So yeah. in that context, I don't think as much work has been done to like tailor this experience for the medium. Uh, but I'm sure. Some of it was 
uh, like they knew this would be coming out on audio first. Mm -hmm. And so they would make some changes. And building off of that, there's when one of the characters gets introduced, there's the comment about, oh, this character has the most Texan accent to ever mm -hmm. Texan accent. And I'm like, <laughs> the fact that they wrote that out, like, wasn't necessary because it was obvious. Um, McLeod Andrews, who was the narrator, was also the narrator from the original mm. trilogy and was incredibly popular for those. So I'm glad they got him back. I didn't need that because I could very obviously tell that mm. his Texan ac accent was significantly stronger. Yeah, I think that's just in general the difference. It's an audio exclusive, not an audio original. That's like the distinction to make that still can work really well as a book. Whereas the original, I do think they had some also like uh, sound effects that added to the narrative that mm -hmm. we didn't get here. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and if you can't, you don't have those in a written text, so it wouldn't work as well in the original. They would have to adapt it a little bit or uh, to, to make it work in text. Whereas yep. this one, it really, it was just straight up read from a novel. Yep. Which is not a bad thing. Yeah, I still really bad. enjoyed the yeah. book. I'm curious when, because it's supposed to come out with Delacorte in two years, they've said, as an actual mm -hmm. print. And I'm curious how, what happens, like how they adapt that if the dialogue tags probably have to come back, I assume. And like, are there in some ways, so McLeod Andrews knows whose voice he's saying for sure, instead of having to figure it out as he's reading through it. But I'm just curious how that ends up happening. It'll be interesting to see. Well, I imagine an audiobook arrives as essentially a script mm -hmm. to whoever is going to be narrating it, whoever's going to be reading it. And so the script will have information about, I mean, obviously the script that arrived with the narrator this time did have all of the tags. So that's, that's not an issue here, but with, with the original, for example, I imagine they are either going to tweak the, the text uh, a little bit. So mm -hmm. it's clearer in in printed word who's saying things and like all the fact that there's music going on uh and stuff like that or yeah. the script itself will have tags that say okay well, this person is speaking here this person is speaking there even though there are no dialogue tags yeah when the original was released in one of the interviews or live streams that mary robinette was on it's like she did talk about making those sort of like editorial changes when mm -hmm. they got around to releasing it in print. So as for like my thoughts, it's like I haven't reread Reckoners since Calamity came out. It's like I liked yeah. it, but it's not, it wasn't one of the main draws. But I actually really enjoyed Lux. And I, I wasn't I was expecting to like it because it Brandon has a very good track record in writing things that I like, and he was involved in this. But I, I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed it, and it has actually made me want to go back and reread the original trilogy. Because hmm. like, oh, I do really like this world. And so we'll see when I work in a Reckoner's reread, <laughs> because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of books time. I want to read. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as someone who's only read the original Reckoners trilogy this year, like for the first time, oh. it was quite nice to so soon after that have a new book that was a lot better than Calamity. So uh, <laughs> it was 
that was and i really liked it a lot overall and it has some flaws i think uh, that lacks it is but overall i enjoyed it and um yeah i'm looking forward to uh them continuing the trilogy and want to see where they take it because they have definitely opened things up a bit let's just say that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um for me lux was so I've always liked the Reckoner series, but it's never been one of my favorites. Like I, I think I unironically like Alcatraz better than the Reckoners. I have a lot more fun, or mm -hmm. at least I think I have a lot more fun with, with Alcatraz. <laughs> uh Reckoners kind of yeah, that's fine. Um it's not a it's not a Brandon level book in my mind, but they're they're fine. I don't regret reading them or anything. Uh, and I think this one follows suit in many ways. Uh, it has a lot of... So some of the things that it has going for it that are good are that it has some of the things that I find quintessential to how I view Reckoner stories. So we have um, epics with interesting powers that we haven't necessarily seen before, uh, or at least are not like the traditional uh marvel and dc superpowers we have uh interesting reveals about the weaknesses of those epics that come in like very nicely structured um and and plotted moments with very neat foreshadowing uh we'll talk mm -hmm. about this later when we talk about um the spoilery half of the of the episode or spoiler 80 percent um but one of the things I have always enjoyed in Reckoner stories is the, the foreshadowing to the reveal of an epic's weakness. Um, and, and I think this story does a great job at following suit in that regard. Another thing that I find quintessential in the Reckoner story is the weird location. So we had mm -hmm. Chicago has turned into steel, New Chicago. In, in Steelheart, we had uh, New York is now underwater in, uh, in Firefight. And we have the, oh God, what was the city in? It's Atlanta. Atlanta, um, Atlanta oh. becomes made of salt and is now Ildithia, I think. I think yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it just kind of travels. <laughs> Atlanta. So creeping. Yeah, uh, and so in, in this story, we have the floating city of Lux, right? This, this mm -hmm. paradise that is above the clouds. And it, 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 in many ways, it's, a, it's an actual like, parallel to, to like heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I am very much looking forward to this series continuing and us seeing more like, interesting takes on... But like what other cities are going to be changed in what cool ways? Uh, that to me is really interesting in the Reckoner story. But on other notes, uh, I absolutely agree with Danny that this is a darker story. Um, there are there are moments that I was like, well, that, that I didn't think Brandon would go there, and maybe Brandon did not in fact go there. Maybe that's that's Stephen's influence in. Um, in the story, but I don't know that. Mm. Um, it's definitely darker than uh, the original series, although it's not like grim dark levels mm -hmm. of, of dark. It's, it's more, more individual moments are 
But it, I could see it bridging the gap to Grimdark if it was written even just for a little bit older audience, personally. Yeah, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's definitely in that direction, right? Mm-hmm. It was fine. I have some <laughs> some issues with uh, with continuity things, and I have some issues with some of the characters not being inconsistently written but like not doing as much as i would have wanted them to do uh this is this is hard to to talk about without spoilers um but it's a it it was fine right it's it's my opinion of this is not much better or much worse than the original series (laughs) I, i think that's fair for for me i was one of those who like, I read Steelheart and I liked it okay. I read Firefight and I was like, this was good. I really liked Firefight. And then I got to Calamity and I was so put off by it. Like, it was, it left a really, really <laughs> sour taste in my mouth. I thought it was, it should have been four books. Like, it was just, I was like, oh, I'm never going to read this again. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of, I got this on a whim. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely not going to go back to the Reckoners verse, but I had an extra Audible credit. And I was like, okay, fine. And I actually was, <laughs> really really surprised by it and i thought wow this is i thought it really fit well in the world and i think it's i like it more than calamity or steelheart for sure <laughs> uh and i think that the the darker tone worked really well for me i felt like this was a world that deserved that this was kind of a a misborn era one kind of darker world where you're like oh i guess yeah. brandon does do some dark stuff even though he kind of makes you look away from it sometimes yep. <laughs> uh and I also, I really, really, I thought it retread some similar ground from the original trilogy. There was some stuff that I was like, oh, like I feel the protagonist was not that different from David in my mind, even though I really liked him. Uh, and I also thought there, like there are some structural flaws, I think that exist in the story, but like that's going to happen when you squish three novellas into one novel. Uh, and the thing that really stood out to me was I love the motivator tech in this book. I always felt mm-hmm. like it kind of got pushed into calamity because Brandon didn't really want to dig into it. And I was like, oh, David loves the Reckoner tech. And oh, by the way, we're probably going to do full regular Reckoner's trilogy spoilers. So just be warned with that. Yeah. Uh, but that, that seems th- safe, this yeah. was it was like a show point for this. Like I was like, oh, they are really doing cool stuff with the motivators. And I thought that was huge for the story. Yeah. Thinking about like the definite darker tone to this book versus the original trilogy, like it's almost as, as if like this is still written for the target audience for the original people just aged up. It's not written <laughs> for what that target audience would be today. It's like, those people that like the original trilogy are now five years older. Mm-hmm. They're not teenagers. They're like early twenties. And like, so I, I, I actually like that. It's a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was intentional or if that's just a happy accident, but yeah, I, I will second the, the opinion on Fabri. I mean, the, on motivators, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> this this book does a lot for motivators that um mm-hmm. that rhythm of war did for fabrials and this is i don't know if i would classify motivators as magitech but they're essentially magitech and magitech they're magitech they're one hundred magitech yeah 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 a lot more magitech in the original trilogy and this book sort of has started to 
at least try or make it seem less magitech make it more sci-fi in yeah. that it is like more expl- explain it a little more but yeah there's still magitech essentially yeah mm-hmm. okay well i think we are ready to trans we've gone as far as we can and we're ready to transition <laughs> out of our non-spoilers so if you have not listen to Lux and you are a spoiler adverse person, I would recommend stopping listening right now. All right. So Jax is one of the Texas Reckoners and the book starts with them launching an attack against the floating city of Lux and in particular two of the epics. Oh, oh Life Force who has magic healing abilities and can apparently heal his entire force of immortal soldiers, <laughs> which is a little intimidating. And then Wing Flare, who one makes the city float, and two makes all of the soldiers float, which is even more in- intimidating. And so altercations happen, and plans have to change, and something very bad happens to one of the characters, uh, Brigand gets like half his face torn off, which is so fun. Because of the carelessness of Jax, too. Like, yes. Yeah. They were going to abandon the plan, but Jax said, like, no, I can make it work. And then we flash back to when Jax is a little kid and he's with his older brother home in Boston. And his older brother gets killed by Lovestruck. Yes. That's her name. Yeah. I just killed brutally murdered. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, when, because, like, her epic ability is to make your blood flow backwards. I'm like, and when it mentioned that, I'm like, okay, that's a weird epic power. And then I'm like, oh, hearts are made of one way valves. And it's just the way it's like the heart popping. And I'm like, oh, Oh, this is this is not the original trilogy. <laughs> Jax does survive and is eventually found by Prof, who brings him to the Texas to Texas, the coop, and puts um, him under the authority of Zeph, who trains him to be an awesome reckoner. And some years later, he, they are joined by Paige, who Zeph also um, trains. There's a lot. Yeah, I, I think should, we can. You were yeah, you were going yeah, into a like, lot more yeah. detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I can I can fast forward yeah. it a little bit if you yeah. want. Why don't uh, you fast forward it? Because yeah, like, uh, there's so much. More or less, Texas Reckoners have decided because Prof is pretty excited that they managed to kill Steelheart that they're going to take out Lux. It goes terribly. Uh, Texas Reckoners are destroyed almost entirely. And Jax and a few of the remaining people end up going to Lux for a little more standard Reckoner style, destroy it from the inside out. Plans go awry. There are betrayals. There are lost loves that suddenly return back to life. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. There is no way she was actually dead. That's Paige. (laughs) Uh, And ultimately, it kind of ends up with a lot of individually taking down the the epics that are keeping this that are supporting the city and ultimately defeating life force who is sucking the life out of his helpless prisoners and they successfully destroy the city and so ultimately Paige has been horribly injured or it's her old injury that's come back now that life force's powers are failing 
he injects her with some sort of substance that is made from his blood or him. It's it's gross. She heals for unknown reasons and is unconscious. When she wakes up, she has Death Rise, this other kind of monstrous personality talking in her head. And it is kind of changing her attitude towards the people around her. Like she kind of looks at Jax with real contempt. And Calamity goes out in the sky signaling that we have reached collinearity with our actual original trilogy. And now they are ending at basically the same point. So that's that's what happens and do we want to just jump right in and talk about what the heck death rise is i just want to say that when i was listening to this i didn't know it was planned to continue on i thought like oh okay they're, they're doing yeah. this like standalone thing oh and then i got to the end and i'm like please tell me there's more because <laughs> that's, that's definitely a place to end things yeah i want mm. yep I, so I have thoughts on on Death Rise, but to get to, to get to them, uh, there are a couple of things from earlier in the story that I think are worth recalling. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is that in inside Lux, inside kind of the the lab section of the city, there is uh, amidst all the other regular doors, there's a there's a special looking door that's like blood red with um uh with a message or text written on it in a weird kind of inconsistent almost childlike uh not font but like handwriting type of thing mm-hmm. uh that says rise anew i believe is the phrase mm-hmm. and the first time we see that door uh we can't learn we, we don't learn anything much about anything about it other than uh, they can't find out what's on the other side. Uh, we see this from the point of view of the Texas Reckoners. And Jax is just continuously unsettled by this door. Uh, the next time we see the door, uh, we do so from the point of view of Life Force himself. And that is significant because there are several POVs from Life Force we get. And I think that's a, that's a really neat thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And throughout previous POVs, we have been told about this, um, what he refers to as demon inside him that like pushes him towards aggression and violence. Um, there's instances where this, this demon is pushing him towards like ripping somebody's eyeball out and then stomping it in front of them so they can see that. So like, mm-hmm. that's a violent demon, right? <laughs> well, but- um, <laughs> or or like reaching down s- someone's mouth and throat and like pulling mm-hmm. their their lungs out or whatever it was dark story anyway so uh the next time we see that we we, we do so from life forces pov and he is with brigand at that point uh the traitor texas reckoner and uh he takes him beyond the door uh, where there are these essentially oh um they were what was it called it was chrysalis something i thought it was oh, chrysalis. Yeah, it was, maybe i'm wrong i thought it was like chrysalis chamber or something so, something like that mm-hmm. let me let me search my ebook oh no never mind um uh. <laughs> uh, anyway so 
but but there is this feeling of like metamorphosis and and being born and like changing and things like that and so he takes brigand there and uh it is clear that this is not the first time he has taken people in those chambers uh because he's conducting experiments there and what he does is he pulls a syringe uh from like a pocket essentially and then injects brigand with uh with presumably the same thing that he injects page later on and then he starts counting obviously he he's looking to see how long brigand lasts essentially uh and whether there will be any side effects and things like that and for about a minute and a half nothing happens and then brigand just starts panicking he reports something essentially wriggling and wiggling inside him uh and presumably eventually he just like i don't know kills himself or dies from whatever is happening inside him he he goes insane and then like Mm -hmm. the body deteriorates yeah 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 Yeah. uh and so what life force does to page at the end is clearly kind of the final phase of these experiments that he has been doing so far and how much of those experiments are life force and how much of them are death rise is unclear to me because there is definitely a reading of this story where it is death rise or at least death rises influence that is pushing life force to essentially find a new host a better host for this entity that we now know is death rise hmm see my interpretation of things was that death rise was the consequence of like all of the experiments that mm-hmm. life force was doing on himself to meld different epic powers inside of himself like that created death rise hmm. um and also going back to like the rise anew on the door when i got to that point i just so happened to be looking at my phone and the tagline of the book is avenge what's yours and arise anew mm-hmm. i'm like nice that's that's creepy definitely <laughs> creepy but yeah it's like as part of life force's powers he has to be touching the person he transfers the the wound to so he does that by injecting their blood into his bloodstream which is weird and i don't <laughs> Quite, no, I'm glad that later on in the book they mentioned that he doesn't know how many people died of various blood diseases from doing that. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. unless you're AB positive, like you don't want to be jump- injecting random blood into yourself. And even then, but it like he describes like feeling like their the foreign DNA wriggling in his veins, which is very reminiscent of what. Like how Death Rise is. So I think it's like yeah. all of these factors came together and it's like created Death Rise, who is apparently sapient and is a very fitting, like post calamity villain, I think. Because like calamity's no longer an issue. There need to be some sort of big bad in the world. Mm-hmm. I would like somebody to remind me of the actual mechanics of how Calamity... Because I remember that Calamity granted powers to epics 
in a mm-hmm. in a very uh, kind of a gifter kind of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't remember the exact mechanics behind that. You're assuming we got the actual mechanics for yeah. that. Well, I, I, in, I in Herschel's backstory, um, mm. where uh, Steelheart <laughs> showed up, um, it just kind of showed him as like kind of just going into a bit of a trance or coma or something and and then coming back and and having this complete mind change so i don't know if he was choosing specific people or if he was just choosing at random and and their past kind of gave them specific types of powers i'm not really sure yeah so we because their weaknesses are based on their past so are their Mm -hmm. strengths based on their their personality or their the powers are partially genetic because we see that people who like father and son have the same powers identical Mm -hmm. twins have the same powers in some cases and i know that we saw david ultimately get his reckoner power or his epic powers in firefight but it was kind of weird because he also like wasn't he like conquering his weakness the moment he got them or something like like but i feel like he got like there was like a heat and he was kind of like transfixed by calamity Mm -hmm. that is my memory but I don't think so, we got a ton about how it happens. But what also, like, he has the same abilities as Steelheart, who he is not related to. Which I hate, but... Yeah. <laughs> what, what, I am, what I am driving towards is, I am wondering if it's less the combination of just a bunch of different bloods, a bunch of different people inside Life Force's body, and more the fact that he is experimenting with mixing epic dna mm-hmm. with his own yeah. and like if every epic has and, and this is this is what i was trying to to figure out um if every epic has essentially a little bit of like i i keep trying to go to the cosmere um a little bit of <laughs> calamities essence or whatever mm-hmm. maybe if you combine enough of that investiture seeks sapiens or develop sapiens uh <laughs> yeah but if you combine enough of that you you give birth to an entity that is its own thing right and all of this like violence and and negative emotions that page is experiencing at the end is is just a result of this symbiote mm-hmm. essentially i could almost see it also like I, I do kind of like this idea of it being sort of the the um yeah i don't know the combination of all these or the the combination of calamity related dna i guess but it could also be like that the fact that life force whenever he touches some Thing. he can presumably I, he says he's a gifter but it's not totally clear to me whether he actually gifts powers or just like he can people can also take from the pool of like the um the people who are in the chambers law lux or if it's actually gifting powers uh but because they also have to have access to all the other ones so it's not just those they touch but whatever so it could be that because he's sort of touching this come in or this entity it is also able to use the healing factor a little bit and sort of Mm. use it to grow and i i do kind of like the idea yeah that it's more like a a hive mind sort of that it's um 
because it does it it comes from the one syringe in in page and presumably they had more of that same serum or whatever it was so I wonder if it's almost sort of like a hive mind and on the bacterial or microbial level almost, but uh, not exactly sure how that would work. I mean, it's 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 sci-fi, but uh, yeah, you kind of think it might be something like that. Yeah, I wasn't really, I haven't really thought too deeply into what death rise is but my first impression upon finishing it and listening to that creepy epilogue was that it's kind of he and um life force and what was that creepy scientist's name Perrick. Perrick, yes okay. life force and Perrick. they were experimenting and life force even wanted to get mitosis's dna so that he could experiment on more versions of himself so in mm. my mind i was thinking they were playing around with the evolution of the epics as a species and mm-hmm. he's injecting this DNA into Paige and in a in a way kind of impregnating her with death rise. <laughs> I know. Does she have all of Life Force's powers now? Like all the ones that he merged into himself? Like I wasn't she, she healed. Like she did. Yeah. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and but... it's like somebody brought the city down safely. Mm-hmm. Gently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't know why. Yep. And True. And True. so this is this is a slight tension, but it's still about Death Rise. Mm-hmm. Near the end, when Life Force took on Cloudbreaker's powers, right? So he started mm-hmm. off with what is presumably just his own power, uh, which is the, the healing thing. And he was a gifter. At some point, I wonder if he took on some kind of super strength. Because when Dave, I mean, when Jax um, attacked him for the first time with with his brother's sword, uh, like he 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 beat him up. He almost mm. destroyed him with the mitosis uh, motivator. And then when he was about to decapitate Life Force, Life Force just got up, caught the blade. The blade would just not pierce his skin or whatever. He was moving super fast. He was super strong. And so, and I think there were black veins coursing yeah, through like him. Th- black veins, and it like infected the sword. Yeah. yeah. Like, and so, I wonder if that was Death Rise at that point, like life force giving in, giving in to the mm, demon, yeah. essentially. Because yeah. there is this, this throughout the whole book. There's this tug of war between life force, calm, relaxed, in control, demeanor. And the demon who wants to burn and pillage and rip and tear and shred. And I, I, yes, I want to say that when during one of Life Force's conversations with Peric, like they mention, they talk about like what Life Force did with the Black Veins. Um. I- and it's like do. something like, oh, it, like, it was still like very instinctual. Like I didn't have any control over it. And I yes. thought they re- described that as in reference to another epic whose abilities they tried to subsume. Okay. Yeah, that, that, I, that seems consistent with what I remember. I think that's true. But I also agree with Argent that mm-hmm. what animated him to get back up and destroy the sword with that power, that seems like that could have easily been Death Rise. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then we have later on when he takes on Wing Flayer's powers and then 
even later than that, when he takes some Cloudbreaker's powers, he gets to the point where it is difficult for him to juggle not only the different Epic's powers, but also the demon that is inside him. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. he can keep the city afloat, and he can keep the demon in check, but then the frost advances. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. he can keep the demon in check and the frost apart, but then the city starts to collapse. And But then, like, the demon does break out, and the demon is able to use the powers. And that's what makes the frost worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, does that happen? That sounds familiar. Yes, that happens. <laughs> I- yeah. I don't it, know if it definitely happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, so my my read of Death Rise and like because I thought the power mixing thing that's a possibility. The whole rise anew and the way they would refer to calamities rise in the previous books really says to me that whatever this is, it's in some way related to whatever entity sort mm-hmm. that calamity is that we never really got any more information because Apocalypse Guard died a right. brutal death. And so I don't know if it's they've accidentally like they've pieced together enough of calamity that they've accidentally made a new one of this species potentially, or mm-hmm. if maybe my my crazy idea is that maybe this one was destroyed in some way and it's kind of been like trying to get itself back a little bit and now calamity's gone. But I think it's something like what calamity was. Speaking of that, during the Herschel flashback sequence where um Steelheart becomes an epic, which like we, we do need to talk about that. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he describes like um calamity as like glowing brighter and almost changing shape into almost an eye, which just made alarm bells go off in my head. Hmm. Because like, oh, it's a star that looks like an eye, and it reminds me of <laughs> eyes that look like stars. <laughs> from uh the skyward series and there is a word of brandon (laughs) where brandon connects calamity to the delver in some way and i'm just looking at all of this very suspiciously and i'm like i don't know if there's something actually there but i'm like "Mm." i didn't actually for all of that so uh, oh yeah (laughs) i don't yeah, you didn't realize that Brennan only had two universes, everybody. <laughs> the, the Cosmere and the non-Cosmere. Yeah. The, yeah. the Earth smear. <laughs> uh, that was horrifying. I, I love it. I, it's what I'm here for. Horrify people. Uh, I do like the idea, David, though, of uh, Death Rise being something like or something akin to Calamity. This essentially... Because what Calamity is or was... Is essentially a super epic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this was for the purposes of the original trilogy. Uh, even when the Reckoners found out who and what Calamity is, they still refer to him as an epic. But it's essentially a super epic, right? It is an epic mm-hmm. that grants epic powers to other people, to other epics. And Deathrise, in its internal kind of monologue to page or whatever does refer to itself as something more than an epic something more than a human right i am death rise so that's an interesting idea that boy do i wish we had apocalypse guard um (laughs) i don't have anything concrete to share on on this subject but 
at the end of Calamity and possibly in words of Brandon, I think we find out that, or at least David wonders, whether there was like this external force that created or installed uh, or injected Calamity into this universe. And which opens up like the 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 multiverse plot of the <clears throat> of the of the reckoners multiverse essentially mm-hmm. and so if the apocalypse guard was the series or the book that was going to explore this multiverse and i believe we do have a word of brandon that says we're going to find out more about calamity in apocalypse mm-hmm. guard then i wonder if we are seeing something similar here like this external to our universe, to to this earth that we read about, entity or force or organization or whatever it is, like injecting super beings, super entities into this earth and and then things happen. I think Calamity, like his race or people or whatever are just generally a group that does this so that they because we do know that like he has um uh what's her name megan's powers where she can like travel across the multiverse or do stuff with the multiverse i guess so they definitely have the power to traverse it so i think it doesn't necessarily have to be like another higher tier that con- con- like in checks on there it's just what they do as a, as a group they might thing. be the higher uh, tier yeah 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 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i could see that Okay, well, do we want to, maybe we'll jump back a little bit. Do we, I know people had thoughts on the extended flashback sequence in the beginning and how we felt like that worked or just, did anyone have any comments on that? Um, I did not have an issue with it. Granted, I was a little forewarned because <laughs> you had commented on there being a very long flashback sequence. Um, but... Uh, uh, in my mind, I really did break down Lux into the three novellas. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the jumping back. I didn't really see it as a flashback sequence. I saw it as the beginning was a flash forward, mm-hmm. which is a fairly common trope in um, movies and TV shows where it's like starts like in the middle of the action and then we jump back and like go through events until we reach that point and then continue on so it worked for me yeah i i think my complaint was really like i dislike when they show you something really exciting and then you have to go read eight chapters of getting back to the really exciting part like that i'd rather the first eight chapters have been a little more interesting slash a little more abbreviated like you could have pumped up the the death of Jax's brother into a little more of an exciting scene and just told that story straight up instead of giving me like, oh my gosh, what happened to Brigand? Oh, oh no, what's going to happen now? Okay, eight chapters. Yeah, it was a bit baity. Yeah, I agree. Um, I did think it was too long. I didn't mind the presence of a flashback sequence that much, but it was like a quarter of the book or whatever. Um, and it was a lot of it was not that interesting to me. Like it was, it was a, an extended training montage, is what it was. And yeah, it established David's uh, interest and skill with Texas. <laughs> God damn it! For Jack. Maybe they're it identical twin brothers. 
<laughs> Jax's skill and interest in motivators. Uh, it introduced Paige and introduced their relationship. Um, I don't think their relationship was all that interesting, and it didn't develop in like, like it was. It was so obvious that they were going to be romantic interests for one another. It was just not meh to me. But what happened in twelve chapters or whatever could have happened in four or six i think and Mm. i and i would have been more satisfied also this is a slight tangent and i will go into this later but i am discovering that i don't like the archetype of like the rough uh asshole sergeant type of character Mm. i did not like zef i from page one i understood what he was doing and i I am not here for that. Mm-hmm. More on that later. Mm-hmm. So I do agree with you, Evgeny, that the flashback sequence was was too long for me, and especially the beginning with like Zev really like I don't know pushing down on checks or I don't know like that that is not a particularly new thing or like it's a very common trope that he, we have this rough sergeant that just doesn't care about the um uh, the the main character or the character but actually does care of course and so that i could have done without that i do did like the exploration of motivator tech and just see checks learning it and figuring stuff out there that was really fun and i think towards the end of the flashbacks when we got closer to the presence uh, present and when we figured out um how they get got in the situation it then it started picking up again, uh, again and then it the book really started becoming interesting to me i feel mm-hmm. and i could have done without a lot of the stuff that happened during the flashbacks when, when we got to nighthawk essentially right yeah essentially yeah mm-hmm. well i I didn't mind the development of at least Jax in the flashbacks, but I had a big problem with Paige. I felt like she was really one-dimensional wooden character. Like um, She just didn't feel like she had any character development to me. Um, even when we had the reveal that she wasn't dead, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, this girl's back. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and and I felt really upset about that because I wanted a little bit more from her um, because she was supposed to be the love interest and she was supposed to um, have a big impact when she comes back. And I didn't feel it didn't land for me. Um, yeah. And I think that's because the flashback was completely from Jax's point of view and we didn't get anything about like her and her personality she was just in my mind's eye while i was listening to it he was in the workshop tinkering around on top of the tank and she was like standing in the corner doing nothing until he talked to her yep that's my impression of her and it was Mm. really upsetting and then and then when she comes back okay i guess i'm talking more about Paige now but (laughs) when she comes back and she's this sergeant or whatever in the ravens a lieutenant i don't know what she was um she had this epic story about how she killed all these guys and she never faltered and she's like this amazing martial artist and and she impressed everybody so she was 
immediately um, got given, you know, all this responsibility. And it didn't, I didn't understand where that came from. It kind of blindsided me. Yeah. Paige, so in the non-spoiler section, when I talked about how uh, there's, a, there's a character <laughs> that I wished uh, they had done more with, uh, that was Paige. Mm-hmm. And my, my issues are very similar to yours with her in that she is, she is a bundle of skills that the other characters, most of Jack's, just kind of direct in in whichever way they she needs to be directed right she is this awesome shooter she is this awesome fighter uh she has information very convenient information at times about the layout of lux and like the ways of lux and stuff like that but she barely has any agency in the story Mm -hmm. and that bugged me like i am by the way listeners viewers i am notoriously oblivious about things like that like you give me action scenes and flashy things and and big explosions that is enough to distract me i i see shiny i go take shiny (laughs) for me to notice a problem like that means that there's really a problem like that and and that was the case with Paige. Um, I think the moment when it really stood out to me was after the infiltration on uh, kind of Wing Flayer's compound in, mm-hmm. in Lux. They were escaping from the compound and, and Jax was doing all... Jax had all of the ideas. Like mm-hmm. every... Throughout this entire plot sequence, every single thing that moved the plot forward was Jax going, I have this crazy idea. I'm not going to tell you about it, but I have this crazy idea. Just trust me. Just listen to me. Go with it. And, and then the idea works. And, and like his ideas are not that like incredibly smart. Right? They're just like Paige's presence in this, in this story for most of the story is to A, help provide whatever skills Jax needs or B, impress life force so that he can give her death rise at the end. Mm-hmm. And sp- actually spinning off of that, I want to comment on all of the female characters <laughs> in Lux because I have issues with all of them. All two of them? Oh, wait. There's, there, there's four. There, <laughs> three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah, Do we want to focus on Paige at first? Because we will get to the other characters. Yeah. But Okay. But if it if it's a common issue among all of them, like for sure, like, I, I I think it is because okay. it's like they're 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 all fairly one note. There's the evil seductress. There's the evil valley girl who is half a character. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like oh yeah, like, oh I couldn't stand. Then the there's yeah. the mother figure whose purpose is to die to like drive everyone forward, mm-hmm. and then it's the girlfriend who is just kind of there and it's like and those are the only female characters in the book it's like Mm -hmm. uh, yeah like compare those with like with herschel Mm -hmm. who's who's well his he is the guy who's like the grumpy old man who's not supposed to do anything he's just like grumps around 
he is more interesting and more resourceful than pretty much any of them. Compare mm-hmm. them against Wade, mm-hmm. who is the nerdy guy yeah. who has... I don't know about more character, but a comparable amount of character to to any of them. Mm-hmm. I, when when we saw Paige again, there were two things that I kind of had hoped for when she like popped back up again, and they were a that she had like kind of been formulating her own plan while she'd been in. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's up there, she's gathering information. She, you know, she's a reckoner. This is what she does, and b i kind of like you know there were obviously incredibly problematic things with lux like you know it was not a good place that was a nightmare place but it was a safe kind of like bubble that was kind of awesome and i thought that she would have a little more having spent some time there just like a little more of a maybe sorrow for like destroying or at least kind of like is there any way we can (laughs) do this without destroying this place entirely like i she was just kind of like yep i've been up here waiting for you to get here so i can destroy it my mind is not changed at all you know i just kind of thought there'd be a little more there i didn't think she'd betray them or anything but there was one very specific moment when they got to lux where like the first time they got to lux like and they were looking at the ferris wheel and the festival that they had going on or carnival or whatever it was and Jax was looking at a pair of, I think they were brothers, children playing in a playground, being completely oblivious, just like being normal kids. And like, I thought that was going to be a pivotal moment where Jax is like, oh, wait, I know we want to destroy this city, but there is a lot of people here who are genuinely just innocent in every shape and form. And like, and that moral dilemma did not come back (laughs) at all later. That's actually an issue I had with the book or like the city as a whole, because throughout the book, after they have arrived at Lux, we don't see any civilians, I think. Like there's literally none of them. They are in a house that has been abandoned or like the people have moved out or something. So... Where, where where are all those people that at the beginning were uh, happy and uh, like could have provided some sort of moral dilemma? It's really weird and yeah, it's it's kind of odd. I, I think dead. there's there's one scene like after the fog rolls in where it's like they can hear them in the distance, um, yeah, but never see them. Yeah, like and they don't really do anything. Well, mm. while we're talking about female characters, do we want to just roll right into Abigail and kind of talk about, does anyone have any thoughts or opinions on how Abigail went and her whole character? Or She died early enough that like, I, I didn't really form an emotional contact. Like, I would have loved for Abigail, Abigail and Herschel to have like swapped positions and like Herschel is the one that died and um, Abigail is like the grizzled old veteran that like doesn't want to be in charge, mm-hmm. mm. and because I, it, one, it was like another chance to have a female character that actually has relevance to the fl- to, to the plot, but it's like, like, like her purpose was to be fridged, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think she did anything other than like 
be nice to people and lead a little bit, kind of in the interim between um, uh, Galveston and mm-hmm. and the attack on on Lux, and and then she dies, and that's it. Yeah, I think yeah, kind I, of near the ahead. end, Jax, Jax was thinking about her and and remembering her and looking at the, I, I think it was like the fourth motorcycle that she was supposed to ride or something. Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Abigail because <laughs> she oh. didn't really feel like a huge motivator to mm. me <laughs> for like that's, that's why she's sort of epic. So she can't, can't be a motivator. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but I, I feel like that it, it uh, at times Jack sort of th- thought back to her and thought, "Oh, it's, it's like he's so sad that she's dead," but it never really impacted anything. I feel, but I mm-hmm. think what she sort of was intended as, but never really that never really materialized, was like this really this mother figure for Jacks in a way mm-hmm. that uh, she is some one he, he could like. Uh, I don't know, confide in and sort of look up to as a mother figure, basically. And we got some of that, but not really so far that I would say um, it added any depth to her or was really relevant to either the plot or checks as a character. So her only real relationship was with Zeph, and Zeph mm-hmm. died, and she died. So their storyline yeah. just died. It ended. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really I've, enjoyed that little bit between mm-hmm. her and Zeph. Um, gave them obviously, the humanity. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't go anywhere. But like, I was excited to see a little bit of. Oh, these are essentially war veterans who are in love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was probably like the strongest moment of characterization for her is that they were kind of just you know they were together and they didn't know how long it was going to last because you know either of them could die at any moment but and i also kind of thought that brigand after his betrayal like his whole guilt was kind of centered around like oh i really let abigail down and i'm like well i don't remember you and abigail interacting <laughs> so like yeah. i just like it just didn't connect yeah how did people feel about brigand and his betrayal because that was something that I was kind of mad on. And was, as soon as like he got, yeah, as soon as he got scarred, I'm like, you're going to go down a dark path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to be cut short quite so soon. <laughs> I thought like he was going to be like an endgame villain. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, like, of course, like, oh, like as soon as like he got captured, I'm like, okay, this is when he betrays the rest. Yep. yep. And then he died. I'm like, oh. I don't really feel bad. I was expecting more to happen with you. Yeah. I was concerned that he was going to last a long time and he was going to be this kind of reluctant villain character that we're kind of forced to empathize with. Uh, Like when we got his essentially interlude, right? When he was cooking his steak. I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're going to get sequences from him here and there and he's gonna feel bad and and uh, brandon and steven are gonna try to make us empathize with him so i'm glad that that didn't happen because i didn't care about that at all like the (laughs) the level of treachery this person committed just instantly put him in okay you are virtually irredeemable in the Mm -hmm. scope of a single novel uh, uh kind of level to me he did have kind of a Moash thing going on, yeah. but 
And Justin, yeah. Justin, like that, like he's a like he he is a traitor. And then there is a sequence where you are like, oh, are we supposed to feel bad for this guy? Like maybe I can see it a little <laughs> bit. But then he just, it's over. And that was my biggest surprise. I really was like, oh, we got a point of view for him. I wonder where this is leading to. And it mm-hmm. just kind of yeah. ended. Like I was nope, like, oh, I guess work. we didn't really need that. In, Although in we got Deadpool, the callback to the pile of vomit when um, Jax was like testing his strength against Brigand for the first time. I was like, oh, they're going to be like big rivals in this mm. book um, because, mm. you know, Brigand's a little older. He's attractive. He's got the girls, you know, and uh, and that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities with characters. So I think in my opinion, the weakest part of this book was the, the side characters. It does and, feel like there were a lot of opportunities that were just not taken throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Like, I almost want, like, we obviously haven't, don't have the sequel yet, but uh, I almost wonder whether it would have been, or where it could have gone if Brigand uh, was the one to have, like, successfully taken on Death Rise. Mm-hmm. Because I also feel like mm-hmm. with Paige being the one to have it now, we are almost starting to retread some of the same ground that we did with uh, Megan and David because it's sort of the love interest that uh, might be turning evil and they have to protect her from that now. So it there definitely will be some similarities. I totally expect that. And it could have gone in a completely different direction, direction with uh, Brigand who somewhat willingly took it on because... Uh, um, he, of course, decided to betray them. And so, yeah, I, I, I wonder whether that might have been or where that could have gone. Of course, we won't ever see that, but uh, maybe that might have been interesting to see. And it would have made given some purpose to those uh, scenes we have from his point of view. Um, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, One of my Paige big... is no Megan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, One of my biggest fears as I was listening to this book was that at the end, Jax was going to get epic powers. Yes, that was because there's the scene where like he does stop like the um, life versus healing from Wade and that it was very suspicious. It's like, I'm glad that we got a legitimate explanation for that. But if that was like... It, does he have some sort of epic nullification power like Languish does? Yeah. Like, that was also one of my worries. Um, but I'm glad it did not go that direction. I had but the same thought, and he had some dark, ragey moments where I was like, is this Calamity influence? Like, or is this you? Like, I, like, when he almost threw the guy off the thing, I was like, is this... I can't tell how much it's supposed to be you or if something else is influencing you here, but evidently not. And they did sort of open up the potential for him to become something like an epic, at least in a way, because with how, uh, what idea he gave to Lifehouse or um, Peric with the linking action potentials to the motivator or like the epic DNA. So I hope, or I think that this will go somewhere at least uh, in the following books, because it's sort of, he is a motivator tech guy and um, might figure something out there. Just like uh, David was a lawyerist or whatever they were called and figured stuff out about uh, the weaknesses. So I totally expect him to, further develop motivator tech and um, pro- probably or 
I think almost definitely to the point where uh, it actually becomes integrated with the human. Yeah. Maybe. Did they that. ever harvest any of a language's DNA? They or... did. They got okay. three vials. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that's anything. That's going to be them. a. I think that's going to be a plot point in the next. Mm-hmm. You know, next book. Yeah, because they were going to do the the languish vapors. Oh, yeah. And languish just came back and <laughs> did it himself. So, <laughs> I I did have this as a as a. I have a section in in the outline for issues with the book, and it feels like we've talked about more issues than than not that are. Um, <laughs> <Too bad>. Yeah, <laughs> I I do have an issue with this. Uh, plot idea that doesn't go anywhere, which is the language vapors, right? Hey, we're going to flood, we're going to take a bunch of language DNA and then we're going to vaporize it and then flood the compound, the palace with that and that's going to nullify like, that. That's not how epic powers work at all. Like, at best, what's going to happen is life force is going to breathe the particles in. They're not power, they're just molecules of DNA and then he's going to either destroy them inside his body or gain languishes powers like he's done with other epics so far so that's well, well he he dumb. already did inject himself with languishes blood cuz like that that's why languish thought like his powers wouldn't work against life force because there was too much of his own blood already running through his oh veins. sure yeah okay he didn't use that power ever though that i recall no. No, which seems like he. Oh yeah, well I guess he wasn't very good at using stolen powers. But Languish didn't want to use his powers on him anyways because that would kill himself. Hmm. That was yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Let's which, go back to characters, though. That felt yeah. weird to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do agree though. We could let's see if there's we we can talk about Jax, which we've kind of talked around. If we want to, if anybody has any maybe overall thoughts on Jax because he sounded more and more like a David parallel as we talk about it. And I've seen more and more like, oh yeah, there's that parallel and there's that parallel. Jax can't be a David parallel because um, David is a gun nut and Jax sucks with guns. Oh, I actually like Jax more than David, but that might just be because I really couldn't stand David's personality. Um, <laughs> and I liked Jax a lot more. I felt like he um, was, I don't know, just a more um, emotional character for me to like connect with than than David. Um, mm-hmm. Just personally. And then I, I loved his development with his brother and his motivation for wanting to kill epics of course um and and that kind of tied in at the end with vera and um everything so i i liked Jax more than david i think i did too i don't know which one i like better the most notable thing to me with Jax is his knowledge and interest in motivators and i can't separate that from some of the very convenient leaps in logic as he was working on, on what it was like sometimes his discoveries were hey what if i try this random thing and then it just works and some of them do come with like hard work and experimentation and weeks of of whatever but sometimes it's just like hey we have four minutes to do this thing <laughs> we don't know how we're gonna do it what if we do that oh it worked 
And, Let's just and, throw a coil on that motivator. And it, it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, <laughs> just, uh, just reverse the polarity, and uh, it's fine. <laughs> and, and and that just bothers me. I I like them both. I do think David would inch out to be my favorite of the two, just because Jax is a darker character, and like David is kind of like a nice guy like mm-hmm. Jax is kind of brutal and would totally throw somebody off a floating city and I'm like mm, I don't think David would be that yeah but, we need well, they also age. had very different upbringings I think mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know Jax had this kind of twisted upbringing in the coop anyways um, mm-hmm. with Zeph being so hard on him and and he's like got this one track mind, uh, reckoners only, you know. Really needed yeah. to age mm. to kind of balance them out. Yeah. I yeah. don't find it particularly fair comparing them quite yet because, like, we have three books of David to look back on and only one for Jack so far. So that he has a lot of development to go through. But I agree with uh, Ian that he does feel a lot darker in place and, like, goes further um or go, yeah goes further than david would i think that also has something to do with like how david um was uh sort of brought up by his father to sort of revere uh, epics in a way um or they at least have some hope that mm-hmm. epics might turn out good while Jake's just has al- always seen the bad side of epics and t- as such has a much stronger hatred for them i feel I could see that. Although he had a little bit like, you know, when he ran out to Lovestruck, it was like, oh, it's a superhero. That, and yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but a yeah. little little kid. Yeah. 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 He, was he I don't know how the age difference 11, between David at the right. bank and Jack's in Boston. I think they were both about 11. Mm-hmm. OK. So similar age. Mm-hmm. But then Jack's was in a military camp training <laughs> yeah. for yeah. six years. And but, David was in an orphanage mm-hmm. workhouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Let's see. We can touch on the other ones briefly. We probably better move along from character, or at least the Reckoners here in a sec. I, mm-hmm. I thought Wade was a walking plot device with a fun personality. <laughs> I, he, yeah. Like, any tech yep. problem that propped up that they that the plot needed him to solve, Wade could solve. He, and any that, he, that they did not want him to do, he could, oh, I can't get in the red door, but I can create an algorithm that will tell you where all the ravens are based on some sort of predictive technology like yeah eh. that's that's one of the bullet points i have listed under problems is just hacking mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we've got some co- we've got some computer some computer scientist people here that probably have a much better idea than i yeah <laughs> I mean, you can you can explain a lot with, hey, I'm going to throw this box with a magnet on it on this tower and it will do the thing that I want it to do. But <laughs> it's just so, so. And also the fact that he's like doing things on the fly, like hacking mm-hmm. into system while he's running and he's doing this on his essentially wristwatch. I, I exaggerate. It's a, a handheld computer, essentially. But like... The fact that he can do this on demand at any point of time and do whatever he wants with that is just that no, no. Yeah. 
He was a really he, fun, colorful character, though, in, yeah. in the group. I mm-hmm. really, really liked his mm-hmm. um, his accent. And man, McLeod Andrews does an amazing job with these conversations between, yeah. you know, Herschel and Wade are the two most opposite characters <laughs> there could be. And they would just talk back and forth with each other. And it was it was really, really fun to listen to Wade, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. I, I had never enjoyed an audiobook performance in that way before but it was mm-hmm. so fun uh let's see any any thoughts on herschel he actually most of these characters as we're talking i'm like did they there weren't a lot of character arcs that occurred right yes definitely. which i think is maybe what we're kind of ending up hitting on for a lot of them but yeah. one of my favorite parts of the whole book was herschel's backstory yeah retelling yeah. that was probably my favorite chapter in the whole book i loved it <laughs> I had an interesting experience with that because as established, I finished this book like four hours ago and I, I heard that um, flashback last night, but we, somebody made the outline we're using a couple days ago and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to be on the episode. I should open the outline, not no. thinking about the fact that I haven't finished the book. So I, I saw the only thing I saw was Herschel Steelheart backstory. And I'm like, oh, um, close. And then like, so it's like I was like expecting like, so I knew that was coming. But I also didn't love it. Oh, because I feel it undercuts Steelheart in the original series making him this special forces person because in the beginning of firefight like david finds out like a brief like backstory for him like oh he was a high school track star he was a bit of a bully and he was just a guard at some factory and i'm like oh yeah like he he was kind of a nobody in the old world so like retroactively making him a super cool special special agent. I'm just like, I liked him being boring more. Just a bully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, they had to really play up the fact that Languish and um, Life Force were Target employees. So I didn't mind it <laughs> <that> so much. <laughs> I yeah. actually really loved that because I could totally see, like I've worked in retail. I could see this love triangle between three Target employees. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they oh, get superpowers Lord. and it turns into this like really dramatic, you know, epic story. <laughs> it mm-hmm. So I really liked Herschel as a character in general. Like he, with how uh, he constantly like had them guessing how he lost his leg, and it was fun to re- uh, hear him. But with uh, with the steel heart reveal, it it does have some issues. I agree that. Uh, also, why, why did he go to Chicago after that uh, steel heart? That is like. Why didn't he stay in Russia or wherever and uh, do stuff there? But um, uh, as a flashback for Herschel and Steelheart, I really liked it as a like just the chapter in general. Um, it was, yeah, it was just uh, cool to read, I guess, or uh, here and uh, um, mm-hmm. also like see actively the transformation for an epic, what that would look like. Uh, in the early days, at least, like we saw it yeah. somewhat with David, but also not really because it was weird circum- circumstances. Yeah, like mm-hmm. in in terms of this book, I think it's great. It's mm-hmm. just going back to the original series, like it it loses something. Like I and 
this is the canon now. And it's like, I'm fine with David not knowing that like he was actually um, secret agent, not secret agent, special forces, forces person, <laughs> because that that's secured information yeah. like that wouldn't be easy to access. It's just like I I liked Steelheart just being a bully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also made me think kind of like. You know, I, I respect Herschel's gimmick with the uh, I'm getting a bunch of candy out of guessing my backstory, but mm-hmm. like yep. the, that could have been valuable information to the Loris that you saw the creation of Steelheart and any information, <laughs> you know, and he was just like, oh, I'm going to sit on it. Like, I don't really need to like, I'm getting a yeah. lot of candy out of this. I, That's a very good point. Yeah. So I thought about that and there is a there's a piece in this book where we are told that Reckoner cells don't really share information. Mm-hmm. And so that helps with that. Right. So Herschel is just like, he's living his best life with like the few dozen people that come to the coop and whatever, and they're fine. Or I guess Herschel was not in the coop most of the time. He was doing his own Texas things. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they don't share information explains why this is not something that he's shared with others but also that's dumb yeah and there are networks of loris that exist and share Mm -hmm. information so yeah yeah like there is a reckoners lorist network that gets mentioned and like prof connects all of the the cells Mm -hmm. so like did you tell prof at least who was actively working on a mission to take down steelheart Nah, <laughs> it was a it was a good gimmick though. He had a he had a good yeah. time with it, so it didn't yeah. it didn't bother yeah. me over much. It was just something that I noticed, yeah. and I I did like how it. I, there was a moment when I was reading and I was like, why isn't Herschel running this team? You know, and I liked how mm-hmm. it explained mm-hmm. his hesitance with leadership and yeah. kind of he almost even had like a little mini arc. So I was like, okay, like I could yeah. see that. Yeah. One thing I did enjoy with Herschel's character was this almost hidden like interest in sweets like because for the most part you would you would see her show and he would be this this grumpy gruff uh veteran uh who has no time for uh for frivolities and things like that and then the moment ice cream gets mentioned Mm -hmm. he's a kid like he will (laughs) he will rush into the kitchen and look for an ice cream there, and then he will get upset because somebody put an empty box of ice cream in the fridge. Which, by the way, is a federal crime. If you put an em- <laughs> if you finish the box of ice cream, throw the, the sparking box out. <laughs> You're yeah. officially worse than Life Force if you do that. Oh and Steelheart and Vera combined. I, I did like that whole... I guess sequence with the ice cream in general a lot because it did give some for one moments of uh, what's what levity mm-hmm. yeah uh, it yep. g- g- gives some moments of levity to this otherwise very dark story and it also had like we, these characters had opinions on ice cream mm-hmm. and that uh, that sherbet uh, I can't remember what flavor it oh was but gosh. that the sherbet Lime isn't yeah isn't <laughs> proper ice cream and. Uh, so yeah, that was at least some character moments. I feel that um, we got in this book that were necessary for um, these characters to have, like 
just as a way to have something from them. Yeah. Which, for the record, by the way, sherbet is not an ice cream, and it's awful. Yep. And if you disagree with that, don't at me. You're wrong. <laughs> I've um, never heard. Write in the comments whether you think sherbet is ice cream or not. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't call it wrong. ice cream, but depending on the flavor, it is good. It's just not ice cream. Mm -hmm. We found Wade. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not Wade because Wade thinks it's ice cream, and it's not. It's its own thing. And you can't hack any unhackable system out of snap of your fingers. Uh, uh, in terms of the other Texas Reckoners, I think Zeph is the only other major character to talk about. I I kind of I didn't mind the classic kind of tough love archetype, although I'm like, this is also child abuse. Like, I don't think you should make a kid stand mm -hmm. in a pole for hours and hours a day. Not good. But I did love his we don't play their games. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I did like when they're doing the rewiring scene. It's not like Zeph, very problematic person, but Jax isn't the one that screwed things up. It was Brigand getting in over his head and panicking. And I'll, I just want to go back to Brigand very briefly. Okay. His whole the line where he's like, you, No, we need to do this. You owe it to me. I was yeah. so infuriated mm -hmm. at yeah. him. And I'm like, no, he doesn't. That's not how this works. Nope. Nope. And I was like, I knew it was like, this isn't going to work. Like, this is the wrong thing to do. But Jack did and, it. And, it. and it was also <laughs> obvious that Jack was going to fall for it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As far as Seth is concerned, I did like that, um, like, from his general demeanor and like appearance, you would think like he's somebody who. Uh, is more made for the um, I don't know for the heavy duty work and like he uh, if he was in the field he'd be more concentrated on I don't know what Herschel does is like blowing stuff up and he would go in guns blazing but um, when they were at in I can't remember which city it was but where they meet Nighthawk and like he's furious when Jax doesn't act uh, or doesn't understand like that they have to act quietly and um, they don't give away secrets. I felt like that was a really great moment to show that he does take this very seriously and he's a reckoner and not just some guy who like likes torturing kids. And uh, <laughs> he, like, I don't know, I just felt like that was a nice moment for him. I, yeah. I personally really liked Zeph as a character. I I like that kind of um, archetype personally. <laughs> I know that some people here absolutely do not, but I do. And um, the scene where Jax went into the vent and overheard him talking to Prof about, mm -hmm. you know, this that boy is a, what did he call him? Um, a, a prodigy. Genius. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So I, I had that feeling in my heart. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I really, really liked his character and I loved how he he grew from being this like like a very abusive person. Um, but he actually has um Jack's and the Reckoner's best interest at heart, and that's why he did it. So he kind of had to make that judgment call and being extra tough on Jax because he knew what Jax was capable of. So mm -hmm. I felt like that was very successful for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just take issue with it, okay. right? Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's like it, it's very problematic behavior. It's like you should not treat children like right. like that. But in that world, like Zeph is not Jax's 
father. Like he is not his guardian. Well, he is his guardian covert kind of more or less, but not Mm -hmm. how we would define guardian. (laughs) He was training a soldier Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. child soldier. It's very problematic in its own right. But Mm -hmm. Zeph had a mission. Mm -hmm. Not good, but. Yeah. And he, are, he gave him a chance to walk away. Like, you know, he did say, like, this is what this is going to... Well, at the beginning, like, you're a kid, so that's, you know, that's the context of all of this. It's a story, so I think it works a little better as a story than if you met Seth in real life. Uh, but, like, he did say, like, you know, it, the question was asked, are you going to be committed to this? And, like, do you understand kind of what you're getting yourself in for? And he did stick with it. You, but you, when you were 11, you don't understand these things. Right. You can't really make a story, decision but, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, post-apocalyptic world, it makes sense in the context for me. Yeah. I will say I did enjoy their relationship a lot more kind of after the prof meeting mm-hmm. with with mm-hmm. Zeph. so like once Jacks, I had to think not to say David, <laughs> um, knew that Zeph actually had respect for him. I think their relationship became a lot healthier and a lot more interesting too. Like mm-hmm. Zeph mm-hmm. was still grumpy and reluctant with his compliments, but the fact that both of them knew of their mutual respect meant that it was a lot more like banter and a lot less like abuse. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, the way that he was paying Jax that compliment while he was also suspecting that he was listening in, like that was also for Jax and the way that he, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like he was reading all of his notes and Jax would coincidentally find the piece of machinery that he would need. Like that was yeah. sweet. Like there was some affection in there. I like and, that. Yeah. And the last yeah. sequence where Lux is following them was awesome. Like that was a tense, scary, mm-hmm. really, really cool set of chapters. Let's talk about the epics, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about let's talk about them. The four or three and a half. I wanna I wanna <laughs> open with with Life Force again because I don't think I am entirely clear on how his powers work. Yeah. So he has a healing factor, right? He has the ability to seemingly transfer wounds to anyone who is touching, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that, is, that is his baseline power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, he's also a gifter. He can give that power to anyone else, uh, which is what he's doing with like, all of the ravens and essentially anyone else in Lux, right? The problem is, uh, like you, you, you have to have somebody to transfer the wound to, and and you have to be touching that person. And so he gets around that with the whole um, uh, system where he drains blood from uh, from people, and then it, it, it he injects it in, in himself. And so he's essentially touching all of the people in in the corridors all of the time. I don't necessarily understand how that works for let's say let's say you were a raven okay and and you've you've done uh, a building has just or a, a chunk of road has just fallen on on this stupid reckoner's girl that you were trying to kill and then she crawls out of the wreckage somehow and you go to finish her off and she kills you 
so the raven then engages the power that allows him or them to transfer their wounds to somebody they're touching and that power comes from life force's gift mm-hmm. and so it is it allows the raven to transfer the wound to anyone life force is touching mm-hmm. which is anyone in the chambers below mm-hmm. okay yeah that's my understanding of it is that as part of the gifting it includes the people that life force is touching in that the people that they can draw on and they're kind of essentially using his power as if they were them because i don't see any other way that that could be happening so yeah yeah what's up? i just don't i want i wonder whether he actually is a gifter because i don't think so because the way yeah, the way I think his powers work, like he can gift them, but more in the way that he can sort of the flow of wounds, sort of like the healing factor can go both ways. If you if if he touches you, um, you could also technically, uh, or he could transfer his uh, your wounds to himself. Like it's just an exchange of I don't know the the tissue or whatever, um, and so. And then he, later transfer those, or not later, but at the same time transfer the wounds. To, yeah, exactly. So like he's so, bypassed essentially. Yeah, exactly. Like he's uh, uh, sort of the central node in an, in this network of people touching each other more or less, and it all go, flows through him, and uh, he can control sort of who has access to it, so uh, or who has access to whom. So he can say, okay, all ravens can heal from the people in the chambers below but they can't heal from myself like i will always forward it i will not uh, let them take from myself i would prefer that because those of you who have read the reckoner original series more recently i didn't think gifters could give powers to Mm -hmm. other epics i looked it up and i actually was going to address that too uh they what it stated is conflicts and prof cannot gift their powers and they don't know of any other epics that can gift pow- cannot give their powers to other epics and they don't know of any other epics that can gift powers to other epics but not that it is impossible there might be something else that happens in a later book but that's what i found in steelheart okay so it is like quite a canon break but it, it was something that i know stood out to a bunch of people yeah okay i kind of like my because it it wouldn't why would after he gifts the powers why would they still have access to uh, his the those he is touching it's sort of it's a little weird I find because other gifters don't work that way I think like you actually, they actually give get the power and mm-hmm. use the power as you would or as the epic would yeah so. So oh, instead, and maybe you think that he, he makes a link between oh, them and gifting. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a gifting is like he just re- you sort of rep- he replicates the power sort mm-hmm. of in them. They he, he the, the the epic remains uh, regains or uh, retains the power, and the other person also gets the power. But it's not like the, I don't. Uh, I it would be weird if they could uh, if touching the other people would be part of the power. Just I, in my mind. I, yeah i see where you're coming from but i also i don't think he had the raven dna inside him so if he's not gifting them the power then how is he touching that you know 
I don't recall. I at least I don't recall him getting Raven injections. I thought well, he just had it from the tubes. We we see the scene where he turns Brigand into a Raven, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and all that's happening in that scene is that uh, Life Force goes and slashes mortally wounded uh, wounds Brigand, and then he grabs his head, and Brigand is restored. But when he touches him, that moment, so. Yes. Uh, it's ambiguous, at least in this case. Mm-hmm. So he might have injected his blood later on. He could have. I just don't remember that yeah. being mentioned. He also, yeah. he, when, when he captures the Reckoner's team, he drains blood from all of them, including mm-hmm. Paige, who has been a raven for like six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is true. There we go. That's a good point. Yep. Which, by the way, did not end up being a significant factor in most of the mm-hmm. book. The fact that he drained all of them, like mm-hmm. he was yeah. there for Abigail's death, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's because it's like after that point they had the silver rings, um, so like they couldn't be drained. Yeah, like, you're right. Partway yeah. through, it's like th- that was also it was like I started thinking it's like Jacks put a stop to the healing at. That was weird. And then, like, none of them have been damaged because mm-hmm. of the, the blood. And, like, it was, like, a weird, like, I thought it was going to be a plot hole. And then we found out it's the weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because it, it was soon after that that Herschel gave him the rings, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But my other main issue with Life Force's abilities is that when Life Force dies, it, the healing gets undone and like that makes zero sense yeah. to me because like it's been healed like it's you, you transfer that to other people like i could maybe see it if like the people that those um wounds had been transferred to were still alive like they would just transfer back but most of them are dead i like i don't think it should snap back at yeah. that point yeah. It was pretty well established that it's going to work like that, I think. Uh, like, there had been scenes previously where life force healing was failing. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, we, we saw that when uh, he withdrew his healing power from Cloudbreaker. And, like, a wound that she had received years ago. Yeah, like I, I understand it's consistent. I just don't think it yeah, yeah, should yeah. have happened. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What I'm saying is mm-hmm. what these scenes show us, I think, is that mm-hmm. this is just how his power works, right? Yeah. Like, Which I don't understand, but the fact that is that it's consistent and it has been established to be consistent um, is yeah. at least okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was also a necessary plot point because that was the big part with Languish and Vera. Um, I also don't understand how he can withdraw his healing power. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like if thing, you can lost. take the powers back. So if yeah. like he is a gifter, but if he's not, well, he's, yeah, that's if true. he's just re- reversing it. If it isn't like a gifting, and he's actually just. Like I could see the effect. power working sort of as yeah, it's it's not healing; it's actively keeping this exchange 
happening, sort of yeah. like mm-hmm. it needs maintenance. It's it, a weird thing to have, but it yeah. can work. It's a little weird. It, I thought it worked plot-wise really well, though. That would be what mm-hmm. I would say on the Ken argument. Is I really liked the threat that it allowed and like the leverage it gave him over everybody else in the story yeah. and the fact that he would mortally wound all the ravens so if anybody ever tried to get at him it they were done like that was really cool and and moving on a little bit from the fact that his powers are a little confusing like what did we think about him as a character because i thought he was a pretty compelling villain oh he was so cool as a villain yep mm-hmm. yeah the retail worker scorn. <laughs> <laughs> And he was creepy, so creepy with his um with this painting of the Sabine the women. Sabine and women, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cutting them and oh oh gosh. He was he was very effective as a villain. Oh my yeah. god. I yeah. would say like of like the three main epic villains of the original trilogy, like I like him more than the other three. Like yeah. um Sealheart, Regalia. Um and calamity. Life force way cooler and scarier and intimidating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also liked the kind of split, like the split aspect of his personality, where the death rise was coming in, was kind of coming out, and then he would go back to Mister Smooth, polished. So oh, I just yeah. bought you a Fabergé egg because you're going to be valuable to me. You know, like mm-hmm. it was a really fun dichotomy, and you kind of never knew what you were going to get from him mm-hmm. in a given scene. Yeah. yeah. I don't know I, how I, much I can say about him other than I liked him as a villain. <laughs> I think he worked mm-hmm. well. I liked his counterpoint languish as well. And the other retail worker <laughs> who went the <laughs> other direction because he is a gifter of his power, right? He gifts his language. Um, yeah, doesn't he? Um, oh, I guess maybe he doesn't gift it. He just no. is able to affect them, huh? Yeah, yeah. He, he's just mm-hmm. around. Okay. He's got an AOE. Yeah. <laughs> um and one last comment on life force is like i do kind of wish we had seen jack's force to work for him for like a brief amount of time because mm-hmm. that was a dynamic i thought would have been very cool like but no jack's just escaped before that yep. like, oh yeah <laughs> that's that that's one of the one of the things i have an issue because like i was so looking forward because the way i thought the story was gonna go Right, we saw these. We, we saw the extremely morbid reveal of um, the chambers below the palace, or whatever they were like. All the people that were imprisoned in there, and I thought Life Force made an extremely compelling argument that, like, hey, mm-hmm. you should you should work for me. You might not like it, but also the alternative is much much worse. And so I thought the way this was going to go was Jax was going to join him and then find a way to like undermine. But Jax just like in the next 15 minutes figured out how to escape. (laughs) Which I really thought was cool. (laughs) Him escaping with his watch and everything. Sure. It was a cool scene. The whole time I was like, why did you not check his pockets? And why is Languish not shutting down the power that Brigand definitely told him that they have, you know? So that was a little bit, it was a cool scene, but I was kind of like, like I, that was the only thing that I would term something that stood out to me as like a little bit of a, like a dumb villain move, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, like, like leaving Herschel his leg. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. <laughs> Although yeah, yeah, I could see that too. Well, it's a it's a valuable leg. Uh, let's see. Any we want to go on and talk about Languish because he w- I think he was the other kind of standout epic aside from you know yes. like yes. yep. So I liked Languish, and I appreciated that. So from the original trilogy, we know that the more an epic uses their power, the more kind of they give in to the dark side. And mm-hmm. Languish's power is very situationally useful. Like he barely gets a chance to use that. He only essentially uses that when other epics attack Lux, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he doesn't use his power a lot means that it is very consistent that he has retained a lot of his humanity, even though he's been epic for such a long time. And so his not joining the Reckoners, but like his aid to the Reckoners was not only interesting to me as a plot arc, but also consistent with the established canon. And I kind of kind of liked him. Like he's he's a little bit of a weasel, but he's also a bit mm-hmm. of a good guy. Mm-hmm. But he also likes expensive things. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he reminded me of Conduit in a way um from the original trilogy because he sort of kind of hmm? oh, conflicts right not yeah. not convert yeah conflicts right uh, he reminded me a little bit of him because they sort of kind of fill a similar uh, f- um, similar role within the city like they provide a relatively crucial function but and really at the forefront they're like pretty content with uh, with their life and um yeah, leave it to the higher epics to sort of do the day-to-day business. And but I also really liked him, and um, he was nice to have around them. And like at the end, provide sort of these crucial details to them and help them figure stuff out. And yeah, I just liked him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he his whole water with lemon thing. I thought that was mm-hmm. great characterization. Or he <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, well, yeah, just just. Give me my water with lemon. Like, don't like you know. We're gonna be polite. You're like I'm. You're not gonna kill me. I'm not gonna you know. I'm not gonna be a problem. Just get me some water with lemon. You you want to interrogate me? That's gonna go a lot better if I'm not parched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can definitely see he's been living the life of an epic and all of that entails, but he hasn't succumbed to the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he's just kind of a chill dude that is isn't a good person, but like, I'd like to hang out with him, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's one of the few people whose life probably got better post uh, calamity, mm-hmm. from being a retail employer to being somebody who is kind of like an idol. I guess he's a Except prisoner, but you know, his he, he's like love. <laughs> oh, true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we can we can talk about uh, Vera, uh, however that's spelled. Um, uh, and I I didn't expect that. I thought Wingflare was heartbreaker for a period of time. I was very confused. Hmm. Because it had a kiss thing they were both doing, and I was like, oh, is that the same the same epic that has like kind of further succumbed? Yeah, there was a brief period for me. Uh, I think before we got to the flashbacks, kind of in the lead up uh, of of like uh, Galveston's attack, 
where I thought they might be the same person. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and then just the fact that they have very different powers led me to believe that this is not the case. But there was... Narratively, it felt like, oh, this would be a reveal mm-hmm. that... This is a reveal that could fit this story in this place. Yeah. In the flashback, like right before Dan died, I thought it was going to be Wing Flayer that killed Dan. Mm-hmm. But when yeah. it was just, it love struck, I'm like, okay, these are just two different people. Like, Jax hates Wing Flayer for another reason. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't really connect those two at all. But, um, I did not expect Vera to be lovestruck. I didn't. Yeah. And yeah. I feel but, like it could have been foreshadowed better. It's like it was not foreshadowed at all. It was not exactly. Like I think if Languish had like made an offhand um comment of like oh like you can't spurn like a high epic like that and just walk away. If they had added like even if she was an epic herself. I think that would have been enough foreshadowing for me. At least it, it would have been something. Yeah, they could have gone even more subtle in, in their flashback with Languish and, and Life Force and, and Love Struck together. Like she could have just like blew a kiss at them or something. Yeah. And, and that would have tied back yeah. to the her little signature they, they, It could simply have been like they were near Target or something. <laughs> or, or an outfit uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That is um, that is another thing that I have an issue with in this book is just in the moment the Vera Lovestruck reveal felt oh that's that is interest and then it just didn't go anywhere yeah because yeah. presumably well, she's dead now I don't remember <laughs> yeah like I she mean, just like runs away and then well he nothing. um life force killed her over and over and over again so yeah. when he yeah. died she must have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he thinks that she died from hunger many times over, and so... Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. yeah. What a way to go. Oh. Interestingly, yeah. I, I knew that Vera was last struck because I looked something up on the cover oh. mind. Oh, no! And <laughs> <laughs> accidentally spoiled myself, so I was just like... Because the cover mind said, like, on the General Epics article, I just flew over it for looking for something I can't even remember. It said last struck, and something like uh um life's uh, life force's girlfriend i thought when will she when will some girlfriend of life force cover like the whole book i was just waiting for her to come up so that particular reveal didn't uh yeah it, it didn't surprise me but i found the like the entire weakness thing that was framed around her um mm-hmm. for life force that was a really nice um, reveal and i thought from the beginning when when the ring got brought up by Jax, I thought, okay, that ring is going to be relevant because why ever would he wear that mm-hmm. ring? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was nice foreshadowing, I feel, for that uh, in that moment. And uh, then as soon as like uh, Life Force, or I think Language told the story of how Life Force um, um, proposed to his girlfriend. I thought, okay, yeah, uh, that's probably related to his weakness. Um, but I love, I still like the reveal uh, a lot overall, like how it came into play at the end. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't catch on the the weakness thing at all, or mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to the ring at all. 
And in typical Brandon fashion, the moment it happened, it was obvious mm-hmm. in hindsight. And this is one of the things that I have under the things we liked about the book in the outline. I loved the way all of the weaknesses panned out. Now, we yep. didn't get mm-hmm. all of them. Like, we don't know what languages is, for example. But the ones that we did get, which were Wing Flare, which I imagine we're going to go into next, and mm-hmm. uh, and Life Force, they worked great. Like the execution was sublime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought it worked well and not kind of violating the sort of fact that they don't know that the weaknesses are tied to their past necessarily. Like it still worked out and they found it kind of organically without Jax having a parallel revelation. Mm-hmm. about that i yeah. thought it worked out i predicted the silver ring as soon as her <laughs> proposal issue happened <laughs> but yeah, yeah. the one that stunt stood out to me was wing flares which i did not predict at all even even as um Jax was hitting her with the sound gun thing and he's like it's broken bones i was like yeah he's gonna get her <laughs> nope <laughs> so yeah. that one really got me <laughs> I had a feeling that like broken bones weren't going to be it. Oh, yeah. like, that's that's too easy. Like I don't like that. And for her, I thought like when because her file also or like her um, diary brought her mother up a lot. I thought okay, it's probably going to be related to her, her mother somehow. And in the end, it was mm-hmm. because so um, she felt treated or wanted to be treated and wanted to play games. And, but never was able to because of her uh, um, bone issues. And uh, yeah, so I, I did sort of call that one, but of course the details were not clear to me. Mm-hmm. But I really liked it in the end, how it played out again mm-hmm. uh, with her this sort of playing a game. were so good. <laughs> yeah. mm, yes. They were really tragic. Yeah, I know. It's the first epic that I have legitimately kind of felt sorry for, like after having read most of it. I'm trying to think of mm-hmm. there have been some in the original trilogy I'm not thinking of, but I was like, damn, like this was this was a sad little girl who got superpowers that made her angry, you know, mm-hmm. like. And mm-hmm. in retrospect, just going through like all of the scenes where we see Wing Flare do things, uh, it makes sense that the fact that she has osteoporosis something uh, like the fact that she always levitates in this completely still and composed form um, where there's like nothing out of order, nothing out of place. She's as still as a statue. Makes a lot of sense. Like that's a very consistent thing for her to do. Um, all of the games that she plays, like mm-hmm. the entrance to her compound is a game. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. if you lose the game, you die. But. Um, <laughs> And the appeal of the of the treasure, like if you cross the perilous path, if you complete this quest, maybe there's a treasure for you there at the end. The game that she plays with Wax, where Wax? What? She's <laughs> just giving Jack, you all Jack. kinds of names. <laughs> the, the game that she plays with Kaladin, <laughs> um, uh, where she? I have no idea why. Where she like continuously rebuilds and rearranges the room. So it's like mm. this, it's literally a puzzle, right? 
all of this is so consistent with her character and with uh, with her past and ultimately with her weakness that it's I really liked how that worked. Yeah. The thing that really made me think that the bones thing was her real weakness was because when they were walking through her cool palace, um, they noticed that the vases and the sculptures were floating. But then when they touched them, they wouldn't move. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. She doesn't want them to fall on her and break her brittle bones. So that was so, so good for me. I really fell for it. (laughs) Mm, I was all in as well on it. I'm like, yeah, he's got it. (laughs) I really enjoyed when she tried to sort of uh, again playing a game and try to um, trick them into thinking what her weakness was um, with the the point or like the uh, her allergy. Oh yeah, Um, that was a really fun scene. I do wonder. So they're sitting on a table, uh, Wingflayer, Jax, and and Paige, and there's nuts peanuts or whatever on on dishes in front of them and at this point wink flare clearly has control over them like she's holding them in place right Mm -hmm. and there's a there's an an extended sequence where she keeps trying to convince them to play this game and 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 they're just refusing right well i say they but pages there as (laughs) background When it becomes clear to her, at some point it has to become clear to her that they're not going to play. And presumably she knows her weakness. So like, why does she not just crush them? I'm not sure if she knows her weakness. He, she likes playing games. Like, because she never was able to as a kid. Mm-hmm. But hmm. she's not necessary. Like, if she knew her weakness, she just wouldn't attempt playing games. I feel like I, I, I don't know if that's... that would protect her though, because it's like okay. then nobody's playing games with her. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, she has to make the attempts. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know. She has it, to trick it is... people. Mm-hmm. It is a little more of a fluid weakness than other yeah. situations, and I think she's got some experience like forcing people to play games. Like that's kind of her mm-hmm. thing. But I, I think so. It must be kind of like a threshold at some point where she like mm-hmm. where she decides they won't listen. But I do think like a reason that she would keep having them play is because we just keep seeing she still has a very childish mindset. And so she, it's not that mm-hmm. she's not thinking, oh, if I keep pushing on this, it's going to trigger my weakness. She's thinking, I want them to play a game mm-hmm. with me. And like, that's the motivation. Like, I don't and think she's why it's a weakness going about like she doesn't she seems like a quite a. Uh, straightforward character to me (laughs) yeah and 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 that's what bothers me i think it's that yes she wants to play a game with them but it it feels like at some point she should go oh they're not they're not budging if i keep pushing and they still don't budge i will lose my power and i i don't think she can like because like the moment like she makes that realization her weakness activates like there is no like point where it's like oh i don't think they're going to mm-hmm. play my game as soon as she thinks they're not going to play the game her weakness activates and then she can't do yeah, it yeah i could see that yeah like mm-hmm. i think that works of course all right work with maybe safe as well when she like realizes okay now now he's not playing the game like 
she has to acknowledge that he's not playing the game anymore because he wasn't playing the whole time. So mm-hmm. why, why, when would the point be? And when she realizes it, that does make sense that the rock drops then or the building. Yeah. It's a bit of a perception is important in the mm. Cosmere type of situation. AMS. Well, the final epic is uh, Cloudbreaker. Does anyone have a sentence or two on Cloudbreaker? Because she was not relevant. To, aside from, Evil I feel like Valley they, Girl. <laughs> that, that's the, the sum of her character. Uh, the, I, I'd rather have done without her, I think. Like, just solve the weather issue in another way and, or just not have it by not being so high up and be done with it. I was okay with her being there because she showed that life force wasn't able to hold on to two powers at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like she wasn't a fleshed out character. I wouldn't even really consider her to be mm-hmm. like a character at all. And her voice. Yep. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, I need is... to turn this down. <laughs> <laughs> that is similar to the issue I have with her. And the the way I was going to phrase this is I wish she had gotten more development. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think both of us, Marvin, are saying she did not get enough development. Yeah. And and your solution is just (laughs) get her out of story. And my solution is, well, get more of her into the story. But ultimately, um, yeah, she was there to explain why people can live on Lux when Mm -hmm. it is this high up in the air. And uh, to have the little confrontation with Life Force at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and then to have the fog at the end. Sure. Which yeah. didn't really have any effect on anything. Mm-hmm. I could have done with the frost without the frost as well. Like it, it did show then that, like the, as Daniel said, that he can't control as many powers at once. And I don't know. It didn't really have an impact on the main characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel like if we had seen Cloudbreaker interacting with anybody mm-hmm. before that, ever, ever, because mm-hmm. it's like, like, oh, Cloudbreaker wants to speak with you, and Life Force being like, now nah, deal with her when I want to, like, and then it's like Cloudbreaker just waited for him. Basically, yep. and then Did got she... tired of waiting and threw a fit and threw a frost. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I know. I definitely think that for the length of the story they're going for too, it would have been hard to fit in another. Like you know, there are language they're not fighting with. They're already kind of fighting two main villains in both Cloudbreaker, not Cloudbreaker, whatever, Wing Flare and uh, Life Force, and so it would have. It might have been a little too packed to have her be another main force in the plot but yeah definitely i i definitely think they were like oh man they're gonna need a they're gonna be really cold up there and then this character was developed <laughs> as a response to that yeah yeah it's like i i would have maybe have liked for it to go back to a series of novellas and have a fourth novella in there just so some of these things could just breathe a bit better because especially towards the end, it's like a lot of stuff is happening and it's like yeah. not giving a chance to really sink in. It does feel like the last third is just action, 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 action. Yeah. Well, 
all right like let's let's move into some like final thoughts theories or comments i think we we have ended up as we sometimes do touching on problems more than things we liked but i do think (laughs) the plot was strong and the characters less so is kind of where i'm standing i think that's fair i will i will go into my problems um because even though i've listed a lot over the course of this episode and I am, I am surprised. Like, I did not think I have this many issues with mm-hmm. with this book. Yeah, because uh, yeah. I thought I liked it, and I and I think I still do. But this is also the highest number of issues I have identified in in a Brandon Sanderson novel. So, on top of all of the things that I've mentioned so far, some of the I think smaller issues that I didn't get a chance to talk about. Number one, and this is literally the first issue I had with the novel, the origins of the term ravens. Okay. I see all of you are confused. Oh, no. Yeah. So the first couple of times we are just told, oh, these are Lux's guards, soldiers, people. They're called ravens, whatever. And we're like, okay, that's fine. It's just what they're called. And then we flash back to the Galveston attack. And the f- we are given the origins of that term. It is Abigail going, oh, we got a bunch of soldiers coming down, black specks in the clouds. They almost look like ravens. So the origins of the name is Abigail going, oh, they look like ravens. And then throughout the rest of the books, this security force of Lux is officially not like even within Lux, they're called ravens. Yeah, I take an issue with that. <laughs> and the entire book, I could not let this go. This is a continuity problem. I don't think it is. It, <laughs> could, it could just like Abigail doesn't know what they're called and compares them to reasons that doesn't, doesn't, uh, that to me says that others might have made that comparison before and then they just started calling them ravens. I think the chan- I think the chances for this coincidence are low. I take issue with it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, there are some issues in the final sequence where people were able to see through the frost fog thing when I think they shouldn't be able to. That's not too upsetting. Um, there are several instances where things very oddly come in increments of 30 feet. Mm-hmm. which is awfully convenient for the boomerang motivator. That's convenient. Like, there's a thing where uh, Jax and Paige are escaping from uh, Wing Flayer's compound, and they're, they're jumping, they're doing things, and Jax is like, oh no, it's 30 feet to the city. Oh, that's awfully convenient, Jax. Thank you very much. Or at the end, uh, they're like, oh, it's... 70 feet to the tower where we need to throw the uh the the magical doobly-doo that's going to solve all our problems and so oh we conveniently have two 30 feet motivators so let's jump jump and then throw the thing there's some moments in that final sequence where they jump 30 feet with boomerang and then don't return and don't destroy the boomerang 
when they were doing their computer hackery as well in the Raven headquarters, they left all their tools and stuff behind. And it drove me crazy because I was just like, no, they should all be exploding right now. Like we need to be bringing them with like, how are you? That was one thing that just, that, yeah. that I had a yeah. problem with, but the, the it, like it's a minor was... detail, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, the Martha reveal felt like it was being set up as not a big reveal, but like an interesting you, reveal. Think, and like, can you have to explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Because oh, sorry. Um, uh, the tank. Uh, there was oh. uh, like an entire chapter or two oh. where they they referred to the tank as Martha, and then they didn't say it was a tank, and so it felt like it was a mystery. It felt like they were going for oh, what is Martha? It's a big deal. It's this massive scorch note. When literally the first time it was mentioned, I was like, it's the tank. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be the tank. So that did not land for me at all. I thought you were talking about Batman versus Superman. Yeah. <laughs> like, Martha. like, I literally was like, was, is there a moment like that? Like, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's when Superman manifested a tank out of, out of nowhere. Yeah, that's. I did talk about the Vera Lovestruck thing not really having lead up or payoff. It just happened. I I think we can let the problems lie at this point. <laughs> no, no, plus that's all I got. Okay, yeah. yeah. Does anybody yeah. does anybody else have any final thoughts? <laughs> well, like I enjoyed the book a lot, uh, despite the issues we have uncovered here today, but uh, like it still was an enjoyable listen. And uh, I'm not an audiobook person, um, but I found the narration really enjoyable and um, the voices he did, and especially towards the uh, at the uh, for the end when Death Rise was introduced, like that voice put chills on my spine, like that. Yeah, it was it really helped there that it was narrated because I would not have felt the same um, reading that. Yeah. So, yeah, I and I am looking forward to see where the sequels will go. Um, this is a promising start, I think, to a new trilogy. Mm-hmm. Anything um, for I, me or Danielle? I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have even half as many uh, problems <laughs> with it as other people do, but. Um, my my problems with it were character development was weak and i had some issues with some of the morality of the good guys um like like herschel wanting to torture people and kept punching um Peric, even though he knew that the innocent people were getting hit and some mm. some things like that i was like this doesn't i don't know it didn't work for me so and then also um, with Jack's like kind of being a little bit too um, too bad, uh, like a bad guy kind of motivations and stuff. I didn't really like that. Um, but honestly, this book was perfectly fine for me. I enjoyed it. I I'm not normally an audiobook person, but lately I've been reading more audiobooks because I don't have as much free time. So I listen in the car as I'm driving. And this book in the narration was like five star, top tier, excellent. So I enjoyed it and I'm actually really excited about the next book. I'm hoping that we see more of this Dr. Slush guy uh, or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Louisiana chapter. I'm I'm really into that. I love Louisiana. Like mm-hmm. 
it's it, it would be really cool if that's where they go and to see Paige maybe get some point of view or something, some character development for her. Um, that's about all I have for final thoughts for this. Yeah. Now that you say that, I really want to see what New Orleans is like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they could do some uh, uh, really cool things. They, they could. And yeah, it's like there are issues with the book, but it was still perfectly enjoyable. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, it, it's yeah. inspired me to go back and read the original trilogy. Which I don't know when I would have done that. Mm -hmm. Though I, I will say I don't have as much of an issue with Calamity as certain other people. <laughs> I thought it was a fine book. That, that's but, fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think for me, like, uh, like, there definitely were some issues. And some of that stuff I do think we really get to see when and Brandon's main books, the benefits of his team and the people that go mm -hmm. through stuff and iron out those sorts of issues. And I don't know anything about the process of how this was written, but I do not believe that Stephen Bowles had uh, as much support in that way or has that same exact process. So I think it is harder mm -hmm. to get all of those little minute details just right. And so it really didn't end up bothering me in any way. But I really, I liked the plot. I thought it was fun. I'm hoping there's some more character development coming down the pipeline in the future and i'm really excited to see how this ends up merging with the original reckoners team because that's what yeah. they're saying they want to do it's it's going to bring the two teams together and keep mm -hmm. telling this story yeah, in that wob that i read so mm -hmm. i, I want to see david as a superman deal hanging out with jacks <laughs> talking about motivators like there's some cool stuff there so i i'm really hopeful that this did well enough that they are going to continue i it seems like mm -hmm. it did but it's highly rated. In general, like post calamity society will be interesting to mm -hmm. see like mm -hmm. what an impact it had on other places. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about in an explicit section, but we mentioned many times on the episode was the development in motivator technology. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that is one of the things that this book almost entirely did very well like there were there were some some scientific issues that i have but like in general the fact that they managed to do magitech but in a science way mm -hmm. worked really well and it's very promising for the future of the series yeah. mm -hmm. i think now it might be time for who's that reckoners character Character is from Roshar. Menace. Tian. Tom. Braze. Void in drag on a horse. <laughs> it's time for Who's That Cosmere character? Call. All right. And I think we are going to turn it over to Ian now, who has a Who's That Reckoners character made specially for this episode. So we're going to see if we know any Reckoners characters at all. Yes. So you know how. The real version of this ga game, who's that Cosmere character works, where you send in five clues and a character and we read them out and we try to guess. But Reckoner's characters, not super popular. So I have created my own who's that, Cos who's that Reckoner's verse character. And we'll see if they can match my skill at coming up with clues. <laughs> And if none of them do, I do get a point. Just saying that. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> for anybody who's keeping track. I feel like this game might be a little rigged considering your presumed access to the copper mine before this episode started. I mean, that's the I, same. Well, for I, I, will, I will confess, I did open this character's copper mine page, but I had already come up with four of the five clues at that point. Okay. And so the last one, I didn't really use the copper mine for. I just happened to have it open. So, and I will say, Lux characters are a possibility. Okay. This character has a secret. Prof. It is not Prof. Shalon, no, not Shalon. Uh, <laughs> Megan. It is not Megan. What about Nighthawk? It is not Nighthawk. Is it? It, he does sort of have a secret. He's got secrets. Oh, his, his calamity. <laughs> it is not calamity. Second clue. This character wields epic abilities. What does it mean to wield <laughs> an epic ability? <laughs> David. It is not David. What's his name? I am so reluctant to guess looks characters. Yeah, Me too. same. Because there wouldn't be a good Carmine page. <laughs> well, there still isn't, but you know. I mean, you don't know. I did say I didn't use the Carmine page. I didn't say why. What about Abraham? It is not Abraham. Okay, thanks for guessing that because I didn't <laughs> come up with it. Was, I knew it was something with an A, but... Um... Can you remember that many characters? <laughs> um, come on. You can like pass five if you want. Held in Reckoner or in Firefight. Page. It is not Page. Um, I don't know. Let me think of the first character that I can think of. Mizzy. <laughs> it is not Mizzy. This character is known for judging others. What about Val? It is not Val. I don't remember who Val is. She gets crushed into a little ball by Prof. Mm -hmm. Did anyone guess Megan yet? I did. Yes. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Who's judgy? Anyone guess Tia? I can't remember. No. No. I don't know if she's judgy. She's just, she's just cool. Mm. Is there an epic called Judgment? <laughs> oh, oh, I know who it is, but that's fine. I mean, you can guess. I already guessed, though, so I have to wait around. Yeah, he did guess. I'm going to guess Tia because I actually... It is not Tia. Happen. Yeah, I expected as much. Um, meh. Jax. It is not Jax. <laughs> um, let me go A, B, C, D, E, F. Here, here, um, who's judgy? I don't even know. Um, I'm drawing a complete blank on every character. Oh, I don't think any characters were judges in their lives. Yeah, I'm. I think there was someone who was really. Uh, I, but I'm not. But uh, whatever. If David um, has it, uh, I I think David does. Um, what was that one guy in, um, Excel? <laughs> It, it is not Excel. Quick question. How quickly can I say a name as you start to say a new clue? <laughs> if you want, you can have your guess before the clue, but then oh. if it's wrong, 
you do not get another guess. Oh, I'll take that deal. Okay. I will take it. It is Regalia, Abigail Reed, I think her name is. It she was is a Abigail Reed, a.k.a. Daytime Regalia. Judge. Yeah. Who was a judge and had a TV show called Judge Regalia. Okay. Uh, I remember I, these I, things, sure. I was <laughs> thinking her. Yeah. The fourth clue was this character appears only briefly, but her influ- but their influence is far-reaching. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth clue was this character's original given name begins with an A. When they first oh. started the this Lux and they were talking about Abigail, I was like, what's the timeline? Is there any way this I is? And I was like, no, it can't be. But And then Jax and Jackson for um, Steelheart. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why are they reusing all these names? <laughs> Wow, you guys remember names? That's amazing. But what a congratulations anyway. Congratulations, David. You have one who's that Reckoner's first character. 100% victory rate in the game of who's that Reckoner's character. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if someone can contest you in three years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'll be waiting. Alrighty. Um, all right. Well, I think that is it for our LuxCast. Uh, come to 17th Shard for all your news, discussion, theories, and fun that you could have or ever hope for. You can come find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Let us know in the comments what you thought of Lux, or if you think leaving an empty ice cream container in the freezer is, in fact, the worst thing a person can do. Uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes and support us on Patreon. See you all next time. Bye. 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 Lux appropriate farewell. Peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh.